Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. This is a tiny little book found in the Old Testament, and it's, it's very unlike, we talked about this last week, I saved a marriage from, from, from being, you know, arguing and fighting with each other. Some people believe it is an absolutely true and literal story, and some people believe it was allegory, and the point is uh, it has nothing to do with that. Like, that's not the point of the story. Whether it was literal or an allegory, it doesn't matter. I want to dive in because the point behind the book is brilliant. What this prophet is trying to say to Israel is so beautifully done, so wonderfully written. This is not a kid's story, I promise, um, because it would be gross. As a matter of fact, there is a story of like this really old sailor who got who got eaten apparently by a whale and was in a whale's stomach. And when he came out, his skin was all bleached because he was stuck in there for too long and they did get him. But anyway, so anyway, I don't know if it's possible to be in there three days and three nights. That's crazy. It'd be miraculous if it did happen that way. But either way, it's a story about a man who was on the run from God, which means this. It's basically a story about you. And it's a story about me because we are all runners. As a matter of fact, turn your neighbor and be like, I know you, you're a runner. You're a runner. You got new balances and you run. And here's, here's what we determine is that Jonah was told to go do something that he did not want to go do. So he just said, no. And you've never done that. We were said like, God nudges you, God bumps you, God asks you of something. And you just say, no. Well, Jonah had a radical no, because what he was supposed to do was travel uh, north, northeast. And he actually ran 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. Now, that's a big no, right? Because he went to Tarshish, which was really as far as they even knew the world existed. So it was the equivalent of saying he ran to Timbuktu. I mean, wherever that is, he went there. I mean, that is as far as you can get away from God because he was a runner. He was running from what God wanted him to do. And you're the same way. You're, you're one of two categories. Number one would be there's, there's general running, right? Like your whole life is running. Many of you did this, and this is your story. Many of you did this during high school or maybe in your 20s, Right? Mom and dad took you to church. You had mom and dad's religion. You only went to church because mom and dad drug you. But bless God, when you became a teenager, you became incredibly smart. Right? Like, how many, isn't that amazing? You become a teenager and you're brilliant. And then you get by your late 20s and you determine what? I'm an idiot, right? So anyway, just it's just the cycle of life. And so, but but bless God, you were like, that's mom and dad's thing. I don't know. I don't believe. I'm not sure. I don't trust. I'm going to do my own thing. I need to go through this little phase of self-discovery. And you go running, right? And, and then that's just your whole life. That's kind of your story. You just, in my, in, in my whole life, I ran from God. But there's also not just general running. There's specific running, which is some of what you, uh, you Christians do. What you do is, is you pick and choose. You treat God like a buffet line. You're like, mm, I'm going to have a little bit of that. I'll take your provision and blessing uh, side of obedience, right? Like this, maybe a little over here. Maybe I'll do, look, God, I'll do money my way. I'd like salvation, but I'll do, I'll do dating my way, you know, so we kind of pick and choose. So we have specific running. We, we pick specific areas of our life. You say, hey, I'll look, look, God, you got my Sunday morning, but Friday night, that's mine, you know, or, or God, you can have my worship on Sunday morning, but I got to do business, Todd. You don't know the way business is done in my world. I got to do business the way business is done. And so you got specific run. Y'all got quiet up in here. Am I hitting a nerve? Did I talk about something sensitive? Um, so you have general running and specific running, and we're all falling in the categories where we're running. We're choosing an area of our life where we say, look, God, I got this. No. It's almost like you ever, some of y'all do this. You treat God almost like a dog. Because you know you love your dog. Licks you on the face, you come home, and greet you. But every once in a while, you're like, no, stay. No. Stay over. And you get, and that's what you do with God. You want the love, you want the hugs, you want the, 
I want you to greet me when I come home. But sometimes it's no, you stay over there. This is my, this is my thing. And so anyway, so the way the story goes is this, is that Jonah runs from God. He tells God no in every way possible that he can. And he ends up on a boat. And what we learned last week is this, is that runners always do stupid things. True? Like, look, examine your own life. Just be honest with yourself. When you're running from God, you always do foolish things. And so Jonah does something foolish. He gets on a boat, which is the worst thing you could ever do if you're running. Never go to dangerous places when you're running from God, right? You just make it easy for God. You're lobbing softballs. And so, so don't do that. Don't get on a boat. Don't go skydiving. Don't go bungee jumping. Don't go do weird things like that when you're running from God. Uh, but he does that. And so a storm comes. And the storm is so massive that the crew of the boat start throwing over all their cargo. They're literally paddling for their lives. And finally they figure out this is Jonah's fault. So what do they do? They throw him off the boat because that's what you ought to do, Right? Here's a side nugget. This is just, this is even in my notes. This is free of charge right here. If you have people in your life who are constantly bringing storms into your life, they are bringing chaos and carnage into your life. There is a, maybe a precedent here to say, sometimes you need to throw Jonah from your boat. Can I get an amen? Like, and I'm saying you don't love people. Sometimes throwing them off the boat's the kindest thing you can do because that's what happens to Jonah. He gets thrown because Jonah recognizes it. We're going to read it in just a second. Jonah gets thrown off the boat, and he's sitting there in the water, assuming my life is over. I ran from God, and now God's going to kill me. But that's not what happens. The Bible says that God sends a fish, right? And the fish swallows him up, and that's where we left off last week. Now, here's what happens in chapter 2, because that's all. everything I just described is chapter 1. Chapter 2 is nothing but a prayer that Jonah prays, apparently, from inside the belly of a fish, now, next week, we'll look at chapter 3 and 4. But all I want to look at today is we're praying for students. It's a good thing that we look at prayer, this idea called prayer. Because Jonah, this is what's crazy about Jonah. Jonah, although he is rebellious, has some of the most profound insights into the nature of God of anybody in the whole Bible. It is unbelievable. And he's about to dish out some really profound insights that you and I ought to glean if we ever run or if we ever look back on our season of running. So this is it. Five insights that you might discover from inside a fish. This is how the story goes. So from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. And he said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. This is shocking. And he, he, he actually answered me from the deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You know what Jonah's saying here? The insight that Jonah has immediately is, is that God actually listens to the prayers of runners. Now, think about this. Some of you come to me for advice sometimes. I don't know if you know this or not. And what I do is I give incredibly profound wisdom from the scriptures. It's brilliant. And I tell you what to go do. And many times you leave my office and you don't do what I ask you to do which I thoroughly enjoy, right? Makes me feel wonderful inside. And then what, what, see, what happens is you go out and do the exact thing that I told you not to do, or you don't do the thing that I told you to do, go do, to do, go do. And then what happens is, it's like you end up kind of like stepping in a mess, right? You end up thrown over a boat. You, life has some wreckage around you. And then you come back and there's, I have to fight within me, right? Because everything within me wants to say what? Yeah. Aren't you glad God's not like me? Aren't you glad God is kinder than Todd? Now, I don't normally say it, 
But bless God, I think it. And that's just me being transparent with you. It does cross my mind. I'm like, well, duh. That's what I told you not to go do. I love you, though. You need to know that. So please keep coming for wisdom and counsel. I love you. I only want your best. But God doesn't do that. Because Jonah's insight is, is that God actually listens to the prayers of runners. Which is, let me tell you why this is also amazing. It's also amazing because you have no leverage. You ever prayed a prayer where you're like, God, I promise if you'll just do this, I'll follow you forever. Where's he going to go? He's inside of a fish. He is convinced he's going to die. He's got no leverage. He can't be like, God, tomorrow, I promise, I'll go back to church. There is no tomorrow. He's inside a fish. There, he has no leverage whatsoever. It's almost like, you know, there's a story about when Jesus is on the cross, there's a guy next to him. That guy got no leverage. He's about to die. Any moment, he's about to take his last one. He's got no leverage. And you know what God does with people that have no leverage? He doesn't care. Again, the goodness and the grace and the wonder of God is, is that even for a guy who was rebellious, even for a guy who didn't deserve it, even a guy that told God, no, stay, even for a God or for a guy who has zero leverage for the future, right? He can't see me like, I'll serve you forever. There is no forever. You're dying in a fish right now. And so the point is this, is even when you're at the bottom, God hears your prayers. So if you ever felt like you were at right, if you, if somebody tricked you into being here today, if somebody promised you the buffet after service, you just come to church, but you feel like, no, I'm at rock bottom. Just know God answers and listens and hears your prayers. It's the beauty and the wonder of the grace of God is that you are, you can run from God 2,500 miles in the opposite direction and yet you are still one prayer away from the presence of God. It's, it's a beautiful, wonderful, amazing thing. And so, but, but there's a kickback. See, some of us don't feel that way and it's totally normal. Like I get you, you don't, you, cause when you hit rock bottom and you look at all that you've done wrong and you look at all of your running, what do you automatically feel? Well, I don't deserve God to hear my prayers. I don't deserve. And it's not about deserve. That's what grace really is, right? Grace is the unearned love of God. Meaning as soon as you start deserving and earning, poof, grace seems to disappear. No, it's free. It's like a surprise birthday gift. As soon as you know about it, it's, it's no longer a surprise birthday party. It's no longer. A, no, no, it's, it disappeared. That's what grace is. And sometimes it's difficult for us to grasp that. Because we think we have to earn it or we think we have to deserve it. As a matter of fact, there was a study done. It's, people do weird studies. And I don't know how I find these things, but they do them, right? And they did this study where they had people put their hand in like freezing cold water. And they would just see how long people would leave their hand in the water. But before they did that, they interviewed people. And they wanted to discover what was going on in people's lives. And if people had done anything wrong or bad or anything like that. And then what they found is, is that people who carried guilt left their hand in there twice as long as the people that were just happy to be there. You know why? Guilted people think they deserve to be punished. And you know what God says? God says, no, 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 we're not about deserve. We're not about earn. This is not how to do it. This is about grace. And so anyway, even when you're at the bottom, God hears your prayers. And so number two is this. This is the second insight from inside of a fish. And it's this, is that God is often behind the circumstances that stops the runner in his tracks. This is, this is what is, this is how the prayer goes. Verse number three says, you hurled me into the depths. Well, wait a minute, Todd. Technically the fisherman threw him in. I know. But what did Jonah recognize? It was God. 
God used the storm. God used the sailors. It was God all along, and God was behind the whole things. Listen to this. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the sea, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. You know what this means? You know what Jonah's insight is? Is that God is always in the details. He's everywhere. As a matter of fact, there's a book of the Bible that, that is put on full display to showcase this. It's called the book of Esther. The book of Esther is this historical book tucked away back in the Old Testament. It's the only book of the Bible where God is never even mentioned. And you almost think, well, why'd they put a, why'd they put a book in there that doesn't even talk about God? I thought this was the God book. And the point of the story of Esther and them not talking about God is to say, even when you don't talk about God, he's still there. Because God is in the details. And anybody that's ever been a runner and you look back on your life, you can see the little hidden hand of God moving all the circumstances. You can see how God was at work all the time. Even when you weren't calling on his name, you weren't thinking about God, you certainly weren't praying to God, you weren't looking to God. But I'm telling you, he was in the details. He was in the circumstances. He was in the little things that helped you eventually stop running. And sometimes that's difficult to see, but here's what I know because I've talked to people. I've had these conversations where people literally told me, Todd, this is what their, their story is. Todd, I went to prison and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Todd, I lost my job and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Everybody have a story like that? Why is it all of a sudden that you can look back into the rearview mirror and be like, man, that was the best thing that ever happened to me? Because what you realize is that God was in the details, the little circumstances. And God wasn't in those circumstances to pay you back. God was actually in those circumstances to help bring you back. It wasn't because he was mad at you. It was actually because he loved you. And so just recognize that God is often inside the circumstances that help stop you in your tracks. Number three is this, and this is kind of connected. It's, it's this, and we, this is not a great point, but it's true, is that God's discipline is thorough. Number three, God's discipline is thorough. Again, sometimes in God bringing us back, it's not always gentle. Like sometimes we really did have to hit rock bottom. As a matter of fact, this story parallels another story that Jesus told, which is what we call the parable of the prodigal son. And the parable of the prodigal son is almost the same thing. I don't want dad's love. I don't want dad's help. I got this. I'm going to do my own thing. And he goes running. And he eventually hits rock bottom. And the way Jesus describes it is, and it's so funny because he kind of sticks it to Jewish people, because he was saying, hey, look, you know where he ended up? He ended up in a pig pen, which was so gross to a Jewish person, right? That's like... Ugh, they would have gagged in their mouth. Like gag reflex would have kicked in like, because they, they were kosher. They didn't eat pigs. This guy is not only having to eat pigs, he's having to work on the pigs and eat the, anyway, it's gross. But the story is the same, is that when you run from God, many times you, you, you bring disaster and pain and suffering into your life because that's just what sin does. That sin just kind of ends up hurting you. That's why that's why God's so anti-sin is because sin hurts you. And so God's discipline is thorough. Listen to what, what Jonah says. It's really funny. He's, he said this. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. How thorough is God's discipline? If he needs to, he will wrap seaweed around your head. That's embarrassing. You're so jacked up. You done got eaten by a fish. And you're sitting in the bowels of a fish. You got seaweed wrapped around your head. God's discipline sometimes 
is thorough. And that's just what we see. And again, it's not to pay you back. It's to bring you back. It's not because God's mad at you. It's actually because he loves you. And you see this all throughout the scripture is that God is in the business of disciplining. And so again, if you want a great scripture, go to Proverbs chapter three, verse 11. Look at this. My son, do not despise the Lord's what? Discipline. And do not resent his rebuke because, everybody say because, because the Lord disciplines those he, I hope you've never done this before. Have you ever, have you ever seen kids out in public acting crazy? You ever been like on a bus or in a mall or something like that and kids acting crazy and everything within you wanted to do what? I'm gonna go spank that kid. That kid's not been spanked enough. (laughs) But because you have common sense, you did not go spank that kid. Why did you not spank that kid? That ain't your kid. You can spank your own kid. You cannot spank strangers' kids. Okay? So when God has discipline, Solomon says this, the writer of Hebrews says the same thing. It says God disciplines those he loves. I don't just walk up to random kids, though they deserve it. I don't walk up to them and spank them. Why? I don't know them. I don't really love them that much. I mean, I love them because of Jesus, but outside of that, like, you know, keep your little snotty nose to yourself. And so I don't spank them because they're not my kids. But my kids, bless God, I will do whatever discipline is necessary because I love them. And if you ever look back on your childhood, you, you hopefully if you had good parents, and I hope this is the case, you, you recognize that your parents many times disciplined you simply because they loved you. So my daddy had a belt. Did anybody get... Yep. Okay, good. I know we live in a new world, but I'm taking you back pre-internet days. This is Oregon Trail days, party people. This is where daddy had a belt. Grandma had a switch. One time I got chased with a broom. Okay. So that's true. Granny, Granny Hendricks chased me with a broom, but bless God, she was old and I outran her. So what was I saying? Oh, so daddy had a belt and man, when daddy would bring out that belt, my dad had a thing. Y'all ever do this? Don't don't amen. I mean, that'd be weird. But yeah, he would take the belt and he would put it together and then he would, oh, Lord Jesus. I was already repenting. Like all daddy had to do was snap that belt. I was like, daddy, no, I'm sorry. I'll never do it again. I repent. Sometimes dad's discipline was thorough, but not because he was trying to abuse me because he loved me. Because let me tell you what dad, this is what I figured out because I got kids now. What dad was trying to do was create a connection between pain and rebellion. And that's a good thing. Because when you teach kids that there's a connection between pain and rebellion, is hopefully you're giving them a fear of God, a fear of authority, a sense of right and wrong, a sense of morality, a sense of, no, no, rebellion equals pain. Because you know this to be true. When you look at your life and you're little and you have some rebellion, the consequences are fairly minor. But when you get older, and don't amen me too loud here, when you get older and you get into rebellion, the consequences become so much greater and so much higher and so much more dangerous. And so what you want is, is you want a fear of God in you that says, no, 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 I don't do that because there's a pain that I will eventually experience. Like sin creates pain. And so if I head off into rebellion and sin, I just know it's going to mess up my life. But some of you are like me. I was great at getting out of spankings. Was anybody like that? I was really good at getting out of spankings. Like, I, I was a talker, right? That's why I'm a pastor today, right? It's like talking about stuff. Like, I'd be like, Mom, let's negotiate here. Let's talk about this. And sometimes I could talk my way out of my mom's spankings because my mom was a little bit of a pushover. Sometimes I could just wear my dad down, like just a battle of attrition. I could wear him down. But even when I couldn't wear him down, you know what I learned, too, is if you will wear multiple layers of underwear 
And if you'll put, remember them, remember them jams kind of style Velcro, po- uh, uh, what do you call them? Wallets. I couldn't find the word. Wallets. Remember them old jams wallets, the Velcro? If you put a wallet in both sides, because you got two pocket cheeks, right? Right back here. And if you would put, bo- and I was the master at trying to avoid, avoid punishment and avoid consequences. So again, this is, this is, this is where we come in. This is how we are. We become grown-ups and we're still doing the same thing. We're still trying to rebel and skirt consequence. We want to rebel and do it our way and not trust God. And because we're so afraid, this is, it is so illogical. We're afraid that if we obey God, we'll somehow miss out on something good. And what we don't determine is actually if we would walk with God, we'd experience the highest level of goodness. And so we're trying to skirt discipline. And so anyway, parents, just dial with me real quick here. One of the greatest things I think you can do is just let your kids face consequences. So even when they're little, you got to let them face consequences. Because if not, what happens is, is that you keep saving them. You keep lifeguarding and rescuing and bailing them out. And then when they get older, you ain't going to be there. And the stakes will be too high and the consequences will be too severe. And they're going to be in shock at how hard life punches them in the mouth. Because rebellion does equal pain. And God knows that. And so because God knows that, God's like, no, no, I love you. So I want to discipline you. Not to pay you back, but to bring you back. Number four is this, if you're taking notes, to run from God is to run from his provision and protection. To run from God is to run from his provision, his protection. We kind of talked about this last week, but look at what, look at what he says here. In verse number eight, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. So Jonah's epiphany is, is this idea of like, no, 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 God did this because he loves me. And God's up to something because he loves me. And even right now, the reason why God, you know what Jonah really realized is that the people that he was supposed to go preach to were Ninevites. They were idol worshipers. You know what he realized? He goes, I'm just like them. Because anytime you put something above God in your life, that's an idol. That's all an idol is. You don't have to have a statue. That's ancient Religious stuff. You don't have to have a statue. You just have to have a thing. Anything, if you're taking notes, idols is the elevation of what I want to the exclusion of what God wants. That's it. So any area of your life, again, you're running. You've got a thing. You've got it. And you keep elevating it above your life. And he goes, no, no. The reason why God wants to remove this from your life is because God actually loves you. Verse 9, he goes, but I, with shouts of grateful praise. (laughs) This is where you, you know, the tides have turned. Jonah has repented. Are you ready? But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. This is so profound, and you need to get this. We have a weird idea lately in America and in the 21st century here where we constantly keep lumping in salvation with this idea of let me pray a prayer so that I can go to heaven one day, and that's salvation, as if God's trying to get you to heaven. Go read the teaching of Jesus. He never once says, hey, just pray this prayer so that one day you'll go to heaven. That's not what he taught. He would say, walk with God right here, right now, so you can experience salvation right here, right now. So you bring heaven to earth right here, right now. So you experience God's best right here, right now. Like salvation is not a distant thing. It is a right now thing. That's the beauty of salvation. That's why in the the Matthew 1, when they talk about Jesus, they said, you will name him, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. He didn't say you will call him Jesus because one day he'll take you to heaven. No, God's trying to get you to experience life change right now. He's trying to get you to experience an abundant life right now. That's what Jonah's realizing is no, no, salvation is from the Lord. It's, it, it, he wasn't talking about getting to heaven. He was talking about experiencing God's presence right here, right 
now. Number five and last one is this. And this is the, this is so good. Jonah has all these incredible insights. And this is an Old Testament dude. A lot of times we think, well, the Old Testament God, it was strict. It was harder. That God was a little bit angry. Jesus comes along. He's praying for the kids. He's nicer. He's kinder. No, 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 no. God's always been this way. This is the revelation that Jonah has. God's always been kind. God's always been gracious. God's always been merciful. Listen to what he says here. Number five is this, is that God is a God of second chances. Verse 10, the last verse of this chapter, says, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah with his seaweed hairdo out onto dry land. Next verse though, verse one of the next chapter says this, then, everybody say then, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a, yeah, yeah, yeah. God's not done with you. God's not done with you. God's not like, ah, it's once and you're out. No, no, no. He said, I'll do it again. You might have seaweed hair, but you're going to get another chance. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, proclaim to it the message I give you. And Jonah did what? Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. The point is this. No one can run too far that they outrun the grace of God. God is a good God. And he is inviting you into this relationship with him. He just wants you to walk with him. He wants you to know him. He wants to walk in communion with you. Like God wants to bless you. God wants to help you and guide you through life. God wants you to actually experience abundant life. And to do that, you know what you have to do? You have to stop running. Your running is futile. Why? Because it keeps bringing pain and misery into your life. Ask any runner. You're like, how's that working out? It's not. Again, in chapter one, you saw what happens to people who run. They end up running to dumb places. They end up doing dumb things. And they actually end up wrecking the lives of the people closest to them. Running is futile. It's a, it's a waste. And God, the whole time, is just saying, well, come back. Come, walk with me. Come back. Like, I want to bless your life. I, I'm, not, I'm not doing this to punish you and to pay you back. I'm doing this to bring you back. I actually want what's best for you. I want to walk with you in relationship and communion and fellowship with you. This is what I really want. Last story, and I'll close. It's a funny story. It's back in 1929. It was the Rose Bowl. And it was Cal versus Georgia Tech. And uh, it's, it's a famous story only because of the blunder that took place. In, in the, at the end of the second quarter, there was a, it, it, Cal was on defense. Anybody football out there? Come on now. Go Niners. But it was the end of the second quarter, and, and, and basically Cal's on defense, and they knock the ball loose and create a fumble. And a guy named Roy Regals, who's a defensive player for Cal, picks up the ball. But when he picks up the ball, he gets cracked and, turn, and turns up turning around and going into a spin. So when he kind of like gets hit and comes to, he just starts running toward the end zone. But because he'd spun around, he didn't realize he was running to the wrong end zone. He literally ran 65 yards in the wrong direction. And thank God his buddy, who was way faster than him, raced him down and tackled him at the two-yard line. His own teammate did. Well, what happened was is that Cal obviously gets the ball on offense now, but they couldn't get the ball out of that two-yard area, and they ended up having to punt out of the end zone. And Georgia Tech ends up getting a safety, a two-point safety. And Roy feels like a total loser, a total idiot. And he goes, and you know, speak, there's speeches at halftime, and the coach's got to pump him back up and maybe make some adjustments. And the team, so the team's all together in the locker room, and Roy's in the corner with a towel over his head, and he's crying. The coach just gives a speech, tells him what's going to do, what he was going to do, and everybody runs out the locker room, like, let's go get him, let's go get him, and Roy doesn't move. 
And Roy's sitting there with a towel over his head, and he says, Coach, I can't go back out there. I, I failed you. I failed our team. I failed the University of California. I failed. I'm, I, I can't. I'm so embarrassed. And the coach looked at him, and he said these simple words. He said, Roy, you get back up, and you get back out there. You've got a second half to play. You get back up. You get back out there. You've got a second half to play. And so for all of you who have been running, I want you to know, it's time to stop running. It's time to stop running in the wrong direction. It's time to get up, return to God. You've got more to do. You've got more to play. There's a second half of your life. I don't care how old you are, you've got more. There's more to your life, and God wants to walk that life with you. Would you bow your heads today? Please stop running. That's your pastor just loving you. Like, please stop running. I, I don't want you to invite destruction and heartache into your life and make a mess of things and have regrets and guilt and all that stuff. I don't want you to do that. You know what I want you to do? I want you to trust your heavenly father that he loves you and father knows best. And if you'll just walk with him, I promise, I promise you'll find a, an abundance. You'll find a joy. You'll find a significance. You'll find a deeper divine type connection. It'll be, it'll be fascinating. It'll be unique. Stop running. It's time to come home. It's time to say yes to your heavenly father. And so if you're out here today and you say, Todd, that's me. You got me. You caught me. I don't know who sent you an email and told you about my life, but you got me. No, God brought you here. Not to pay you back. Just to bring you back. So if you are ready to stop running and you need to say yes to Jesus, maybe there's a specific area of your life you've been running or maybe your whole life has been running and you say, Todd, I need to stop running and I need to return to my heavenly father. Then the count of three, I want you to say yes. And maybe this is totally new to you. Maybe you, you never had even a sense of God or a sense of going to church, but you just say, no, I want to walk with a God like that. I want to walk with a God of second chances. I want to walk with a God of love. I want to do that. Then on the count of three, slip your hand up in the air. One, two, three, and pop that hand up in the air. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hands out of the place. Yeah, running is futile. It is a waste. It's not fun. It's fun for a season, and then it gets crazy. Life is better with God. Life is better walking with your loving Heavenly Father. And so here's what I want us to do. Can we all pray a prayer together, everybody? I want us to all pray it out loud, kind of we can hear it with our own ears, because there's a bunch of people that raise their hands, but I don't want them to feel alone right now, because we're all in this together, because guess what? We're all runners. So let's all run back to God together. Can you repeat this prayer after me? Everybody say, Lord Jesus, thank you. That you love me, that you're for me, that you care about me. Help me, Lord, to return to you, to know you, and to walk with you. I'm done running. I need your help. God save me. It is in your holy name that I pray. Come on, give me a good amen out there for that. Yeah, yeah, give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.